All right, hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrew, for being here. Thank you, worship team. If you would help me thank them for leading us this morning. Uh, just beautiful. Um, gosh, there's uh, so many new people here today. Thank you for joining us. Um, incredibly honored you would spend some of your Sunday morning with us. Uh, we say this all the time. The church, it's a family you belong to. It's not an event you attend. And so if you're here, welcome to our family. We're incredibly honored to have you. Uh, as Izzy already did, we celebrate things as a family. We mourn things as a family. We encourage each other. We build each other up uh, because we're a part of the family of God. So we're excited. This morning, uh, we're going to continue through our sermon series we've been walking through called the Sermon on the Mount. And as Izzy alluded to, the title for this message and really for this scripture we're going to study this morning is really simple. I'm going to give it to you up top. It is God gives good gifts. Okay, great with alliteration. I'm not great with a lot of things, but alliteration, decent. God gives good gifts. Now, um, I don't know about you, but growing up, my dad, he was a lot of great things. One of the things he was not great at was gift giving. Okay, uh, my dad had a knack for finding the weirdest trinkets, the weirdest gifts, and giving them to me and my brothers. We would often frequent the flea markets on the weekends, if you've ever been to a flea market. Weird name, cool place. Um, and we would go to these places on the weekends and buy the most random stuff. And so I grew, I grew up really, if I'm going to be honest, with very low expectations for the gifts from my father. Uh, he was a great provider in a lot of ways, but I had very low expectations for his gifts. I'll give you a few examples. One Christmas, me and my brothers, we really wanted a go-kart to ride around the neighborhood. And so my dad, not only did he get us one go-kart, he got us two go-karts, right? Stoked. Problem was ne neither of them ever worked, okay? So it was just like a really cool chair to sit in uh, for the rest of our lives. And um, one time my dad for Christmas, like, you know how, I don't know if your family worked like this, you got like one big Christmas gift. And that's the one thing you knew, at least that's going to be a home run. Everything else, it could be socks, it could be underwear, whatever it is, but at least I got this one thing. Well, my dad's one big gift to me one year was a, a pair of binoculars. And so I got it. I was like, you know, what, dad, what are these? You know, it was binoculars, you know, for hunting. And I was like, I don't own a gun. Like, what am I going to do with these binoculars? Stare a deer to death? So um, that was unique. But maybe the funniest situation was one time my dad got us a VCR. Okay, does anybody know what VCR stands for? You, you rose your hand, young man. You rose your hand, young man. A video recorder? What's the C? Okay, that's right. VCR, sir. So... Uh, he got us a VCR. We were pretty stoked. We had a great relationship with the movie palace down the street. Really, really thrilled about getting this. Like 15 minutes later, we got a knock on the door. It was the police. They said this VCR was bought stolen. They confiscated our Christmas gift and walked away. And I was like, what the heck? So for all the incredible things my dad did, if I'm being honest, I had very low expectations when it came to his gifts in my life. Now, here's why this is important. For many of you, this is exactly how you view God. This is exactly how you view God. It is not that you don't believe God is generally good. 
It's just that you have very low expectations of what his goodness looks like in your life. It's not that you don't believe that God is real. It's that you struggle to believe he really cares enough to care about the things you care about. In fact, it's not that you don't believe God is sovereign and in control. It's you don't think God cares enough to be specific in your life with things. And so this morning, uh, we're walking through Jesus' most popular sermon ever. And I think it's possible that this text could shift your approach to open up kind of a gateway to a part of the character of Jesus you've never seen before, of just how good he is. And here's that main point, is that God gives good gifts. Okay, we're in Matthew 7, verse 7. And we're going to stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew 7, verse 7. We're going to cover five verses. We're going to walk through these verses verse by verse and try to ask God's word to speak to us. Here's what it says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You may be seated. All right, so if you've been tracking with us through, uh, through this series, um, through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we've been walking through this passage verse by verse. This is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. If you had just been employed by Jesus as a CEO of an organization, this is your orientation. He is sitting you down and he's saying, this is the culture of my kingdom. This is what we're about. This is what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. And he's rolling out all of this. And the key thrust in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is promoting what's called an inside-out righteousness. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were all focused on external works, hoping that it would transform an internal posture. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel gets to the core, your heart. It transforms you at the core of who you are, and then that flows into every area of your life. It's an inside-out righteousness. Jesus doesn't want your behavior. He wants your heart. And when he gets your heart, he'll transform every area of your life. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing all these topics to the forefront that you've heard about, and he's bringing clarity as to his better way. And here in the middle of that passage, he talks about this passage on prayer. And specifically prayer as it's related and connected to our Father as a good gift giver. And Jesus is going to show us just how good he is to his children. Now before we break down this text, I want to give you a few clarifications that are going to help you filter God's word. Here's the first thing you've got to know about this passage as we study it. Number one, this is not name it and claim it theology. Depending on the religious circle you grew up in, there's, it's called the word of faith movement. And it's this idea that I can just name it and claim something in its mind. That's not how the gospel works. It's not what scripture communicates. Secondly, this is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not the prosperity movement. Yes, 
Does God want to protect you and provide for you and care for you? Yes. But just because you follow Jesus does not mean you will be healthy, and it does not mean you will be wealthy. Sec- and lastly, here's this. This is not manifesting. I know that's a really big topic these days. I'm going to manifest something. I'm going to think it, believe it. It's mine. That's not what this is. Okay, what this is, is we are going to take Jesus' word in context. We're going to exalt Jesus. We're going to look at a biblical counsel of all of his word and try to discern his heart for you as his children. So we've got to drop the best we can our preconceived notions of how we're coming to his word and surrender our our ideas to receive his word. Is everybody tracking with me? All right. Here's how we're going to do that. We're going to work through these scriptures verse by verse. Here's the first point if you're taking notes or if you want to snap a photo with your phone that Jesus teaches us about his good gifts and the stipulations involved with them. Here's the first one. Jesus invites us to persistently pursue him in prayer and promises that he will answer. The first stipulation or invitation when it comes to God's good gifts for his children is this. He invites you first to persistently pursue him in prayer, and he promises that he will answer. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus starts with a clear invitation to his children. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's the invitation. Ask, seek, and knock. If you are my child, ask me for something. Seek me for it. Knock on my door. I am inviting you to persistently pursue me in prayer. Now, here's what's cool. These commands in the scripture, these are in the present and imperative form. They are urgent commands. They are verbs requiring action. And there's almost a progressive intensification, if you notice, in the order. Ask, seek, knock. These are habitual lifestyle commands. So they can be read as like, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's not like a one-time invitation. What Jesus is getting at is that this continual pursuit of him in prayer is a lifestyle. This is what our life is marked by. The follower of Jesus, your life should be marked by an avenue of pursuit in prayer. Prayer is not a last resort. It's a first response. It's our lifeblood. It's our communication with Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. Most of us, if we're honest, we view prayer as a very passive practice, right? Like you pray before your meal at the table, which is great. But if you're anything like me, those prayers are super whack. Um, you pray maybe before bed casually. Maybe you, you, you know, recite the Lord's Prayer redundantly. Um, or maybe, let's just be honest, maybe you don't pray at all. You're a follower of Jesus and it just never dawns on you that you should be persistently pursuing God with all of your requests, with everything that's on your heart. And so Jesus invites us with this command, this invitation. Hey, as my son, as my daughter, I want you to be in relationship with me, in a lifestyle relationship where you can ask me about anything. You can seek me about anything. You can knock on my door and bug me about anything. 
And not only that, Jesus has invited us to do that persistently. As I said, the text reads, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. The reminder we need, guys, is we have to be persistent in our pursuit of Jesus. We've got to be persistent in our prayers with Jesus. When we're seeking him for something, he's calling us to a lifestyle of prayer in persistence. Now, why? Gosh, guys, look, the culture we live in propagates that we want an answer immediately for everything. We want provision immediately for everything. All of our food is fast food. We all have apps on our phone to get our food faster. On DoorDash, you can pay a small fee for a rush delivery alongside the 14 other fees. I ordered a Chick-fil-A sandwich. It was $47.50, but I got it in three minutes. So we have need of persistence. Here's what happens. If we're not careful, we say, well, I talked to God once about it. He didn't answer. I'm done. I tried community one time. I went to this church one time. Nobody talked to me. I'm done. I went on one date. I'm done. I ate one bad meal at one restaurant. I'm never eating at a restaurant again. That's how we view God, though, if we're honest. I tried. I put forth the effort, God. I prayed about it. You never came through. Hey, we have need of persistence. God desires that you would come to him persistently, continually. This is the invitation of Christianity. It's an invitation of a lifestyle relationship. But let me ask you this. Jesus says this. If you do that, he will answer. If you knew, listen, if you knew definitively God was going to answer your prayers, would you be more inclined to pray persistently? If you knew definitively God is going to answer me, would you be inclined to pray about everything? That's the promise Jesus gives you. He doesn't say how he's going to answer, and he doesn't say when, but he will answer you. Here's the second thing Jesus reminds you, though. When he invites you to come to him persistently, continually, with all of your requests, here's what he says. He reminds you of this invitation is never to trick or trap his children. Now, I love this. This may sound out of nowhere. It's not. Jesus, when he invites you to come to him with all of your requests to ask, seek, and knock, he wants to be sure that you remember this. I am not trying to trick you or trap you with inviting you to come to me with everything on your heart. Look at verse Nine. Here's what Jesus says. Knowing your thoughts. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Let's pause. So Jesus invites every one of us into this habitual lifestyle relationship of bringing every request in our heart, of coming to him persistently in prayer, of walking with him moment by moment. And then he wants to remind you just why you can trust him with all those things. And he's going to remind you with a little clarity about his heart for his kids by comparing it to your heart for your kids. Which one of you, if his son were to ask for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he was to ask for a fish, would give him a serpent? Now, here's what's cool. I never noticed this in this passage before. But Jesus uses examples of items that would look almost identical. 
So bread in this Middle Eastern culture would have been very brown, very flat, pressed hard, kind of in a circular shape. It would have looked almost identical to the stones in Jerusalem. And so Jesus, what he's doing, he's using two things that I don't think this is like a coincidence of things that would look alike to almost set a precedent for you. And what he's doing is saying, do you think that you're going to ask for something that you really need, bread, food, provision? And I'm going to say, yeah, come to me with all your requests. Come to me. Ask me for anything. God, I need provision. Oh, I will provide for you. Here's a stone. Eat that. It's as if he knows. He's saying, am I out to trick you? Am I inviting you because I, I, I enjoy trapping you? Or mocking you? No. That's not how I work. And so Jesus, I think he uses things like this, very similar, to communicate to you like, this is not my heart for you. I'm not after you here. Like if I invite you to come to me with all of these things, I'm not trying to deceive you or trick you or trap you, offering you something good and giving you something bad. But oftentimes, if we're honest, that's how we view God with certain areas in our life. We think God is out to trap me. He's out to trick me. He's inviting me to lay down these things at his feet for his provision, but I simply can't trust him because he's going to give me something really bad if I lay down what I think is good. Uh, Bob Fuller from First Pres, he was here last week. And he was talking about judgmentalism in the church and how if we're not careful, we can be a very critical community. And he likened it to this story, uh, this documentary that came out about this cult in Waco. If you guys remember this story with David Koresh, it was a really popular cult. I can't remember if it was in like the 60s or the 70s. Does anybody know? 80s. So it was in the 80s. And he had created this whole compound with all of these families, all of his wives, abusing these people. And so the police had raided his compound, and it became uh, very tense. And they had told the community, hey, if you come out, you'll be safe. Bring the kids out. Bring the women out. We'll protect them. We'll care for them. We'll provide for them. They offered them safety. They invited them to come to them. And then as soon as they did, they incarcerated them and divided their families, many of which were never reunited. They promised them, they invited them to safety and hurt them and tricked them and trapped them. This is a great example of how we view God. We think Jesus is saying, hey, come to me with everything that's on your heart. Come to me with your biggest requests, the dream that I placed in you. Lay it at my feet. Ask me about it. Seek me about it. Knock on my door. And guess what? I'm going to trick you. I'm going to give you something disgusting for your goodness at my feet. I'm out to trap you. So here's what we do. We hold back these areas of our lives we don't trust God with. So we say, "Mm, if I trusted God with that area, he's going to put me in my place. If I trusted God with my finances, I'm finally going to go broke. If I trusted God with relationships, he's going to ensure I'm lonely forever. But the enemy is the deceiver. Jesus, he says, you have a father. So this for me, I I know you guys know a little of my story, um, but when I got saved, I had a really promiscuous past. And because of that, when I started following Jesus, um, my story was I needed to walk with Jesus for a while in purity 
to restore that part of my past. So I was single for a long time. I have like a PhD in singleness. If you have any questions, I'm your guy. Okay, I've done a lot of research. And I lived with 43 different roommates that were all men. So I have experienced some things. I never want to have a boy in my life again. I am praying for only little girls. And I remember, and there's so many areas in my life where I trusted Jesus wholeheartedly. It was just easier to trust him. With my finances, I've just seen God provide in supernatural ways. But the area I really struggled to trust God was in relationships and dating. I just didn't believe God would be good to me in that area. And so because of that, the way I approached him was I would close my fist on that area. I would never ask or seek or knock about that thing because can I even trust him? He's probably going to trap me. I mean, yes, he wants a holy partner, but not a hot one. Yes, he wants a godly partner, but it's not going to be good. And I know that's like, cool, I'm, I'm being dumb. But really, if I'm being honest, a lot of my heart believe that. Like God is out to trick me. And he doesn't have something good for me, so I can't trust him with this area of my life. And I don't know what that area is for you, but that's not who your father is. And so you can ask, you can seek, and you can knock. But here's the final reminder Jesus gives you if you still don't believe him. Point number three is this, that Jesus reminds us that God gives good gifts. Jesus reminds us of this. Verse 11, if you then, if you then, parents, he's talking to parents in the room, if you who are evil, let that sink in, who are evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? I love that Jesus pulls no punches here. It's like, hey, your, your parents here, you would do anything you could for your kids. There's not a thing you wouldn't do. And in comparison to Jesus, your goodness looks like evil. That's how much better he is than you. That's how much more good he is. And he says it again, just like in Matthew 6, how much more. When he talks about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and how God provides for birds, he provides for flowers, he'll provide for his children. He says, how much more? You know what that means? Infinitely more. God is infinitely better than you are. And he will provide for his children. How much more will he provide good things to those who ask him? So as I was thinking about this, um, this question or, or this statement from Jesus, it got me thinking about this. What is a good gift then? If Jesus promises to his kids, if they ask and seek and knock, he will give you good gifts. What defines a good gift according to Jesus? And so I created a few slides for you if you want to snap a photo of this or if you want to write this down. And this is really crucial. This is more of a, a whole counsel through the Bible of just some things that I think God has brought to my mind through Scripture of what would define and give you a filter for a good gift. So if you're going to come to God for a good gift, believing he's going to answer, you want to filter it through a few of these things. Here's the first. Number one, God's good gifts always make me more like Jesus. Number one, when you are seeking Jesus for something, he will not give it to you if it doesn't make you more like Jesus. Okay? And I want you to think about that. If you're praying for a relationship 
And God knows this person is not going to help form you into the image of my son. This is not a gift from me. So Romans 8, 28, 29, remember what 28 says? God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called into his purpose. And then what does he say in verse 29? We never quote that you would be conformed into his image. Sheesh, bro. Somebody didn't get that over here. I'm coming over here. 28, all things work together for good. Well, what's good? How is this good? Well, it's good because it's going to make me more like Jesus. That's God's greatest good in your life. He has saved you. He's sanctifying you. He's making every one of you look more like Jesus till the day you die and you meet Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second, though. God's good gifts, they enhance my joy. They utilize my gifts, and they position me for good works. Come on. They enhance my joy. I'm not saying they always make you happy. I'm not saying they, don't, they aren't hard, okay? But they enhance my joy. When I think about the things God has called me into, I can't believe I get to do this job, guys. I'll be real with you. I literally, I told our team that the other day. I was like, I can't believe I get to do this. Maybe y'all fire me soon, but at least for today, I can't believe I get to do this. It enhances my joy to serve you in this role. It enhances my joy. I am stoked about it. I think maybe it utilizes my gifts. I think it positions me for good works. So God's good gifts in your life are always, they're not just about you. They're about others. It positions you in a place where you can serve others and love others and care for others and lay your life down for others. I put some verses on there for you if you want to look at those later. Third, God's good gifts, they always glorify God, and they always build his kingdom. And I wrote this verse, James 4, 3. That's pretty crucial if you want to look it up later because here's what it says. Um, he says, you have not because you ask not, and then you receive not because you ask with the wrong motives to spend it on your own selfish passions. And then he says, you foolish people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? God is jealous of the spirit that he's placed within you. So here's what he's saying. You can ask wrongly. Ask, seek, knock. You can ask the wrong way. If your only desire is to spend it on your own selfish pleasures and passions, like we said, that's not going to make you more like Jesus. And so God doesn't give those kind of good gifts. He wants to build his kingdom. It's not your kingdom. But here's the greatest gift we always receive, though. God's greatest gift in prayer is always his presence. Come on, Nathan. Say it louder. It's good. The greatest gift we always get when we ask, seek, and knock is more of Jesus. That is the gift that never fails. That is the gift you always get. When he invites you into keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, the thing you always flourish in is you receive Jesus. You get his presence. And his presence, according to Scripture, is where you get fullness of joy. So the goal, guys, in prayer, it's not what we get. It's who we get. So this morning as we close, I'm going to leave you with um, hopefully a somewhat clear application from this text. It's kind of a like a layup, uh, alley-oop, as they say. Victor Wimbiana, we're celebrating that as well, by the way, guys. 
Come on. I heard he's working with a realtor. I'm praying he moves downtown because if he does, my house is worth double. Come on, Lord. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Application. God just gave me the greatest acrostic ever If for any acrostic fans out here. And it's straight in scripture. Here's the application point. Ask. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Come on, somebody. That kicked ask. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I want you to think about this. As you study God's word this week, as you leave here this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do three things. And I want you, if you're willing, I want you to practice this for one whole week. You are going to ask Jesus. And here's how you're going to do that. Here's the first thing you're going to do, ask. You're going to make a specific request. You are going to go to Jesus. I don't care if it's your first time ever praying. Come to me. Ask. Make a specific request. Now, here's why this is crucial. Some of us, we are discouraged because we're thinking, God, I've never seen you provide. You're not showing up. But guess what? General prayers never get specific clarity. So if you never ask God for something specifically, how would you ever know he even showed up or didn't? And so if your prayers are all general, maybe God's been providing for you the whole time and you never knew it. So God is saying, ask me, say something specific. Come to me with something specific. Parents in here love to hear specifically from their kids. How much more does your heavenly father want to hear something specific from you? So here's what I'm saying. Say something specific. Okay, Megan was talking about that this week when she said sometimes God's sovereignty produces like an apathy in our life. She didn't say it exactly like that. I made it sound like that. But here's here's what she was getting at. We think God's in control, right? Well, if God's in control, he's just going to do what he's going to do anyways, right? What's the point of asking for something specific? God's just going to do what God's going to do. He's in control. He's sovereign. Yes, God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean he's not specific. So if you never make a specific ask, you'll never be able to pinpoint if God gave a specific answer. So would you trust him enough to make a specific request? Come on, Lord. Wow. All right, random timing, but <laughs> praise God. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. <laughs> Seek. Be persistent in prayer. All right, so you're going to ask, right? You're going to make a specific request, but then here's what you're going to do on Tuesday. You're going to pray about it again. And then here's what you're going to do on Wednesday. You're going to pray about it again. Here's what you're going to do on Thursday. You're going to pray about it again. And then Friday. And then Saturday. And then Sunday, until I see you here next week, and I'm going to ask you to come up and give a testimony. Okay? If you didn't do it, you're giving a testimony about something else. So, would you be persistent? God, like I said, the invitation is not just to, to throw up Hail Marys to God. The invitation is to a lifestyle Christianity. The invitation is to walk with me, be with me, rest in me, talk to me. You're in relationship with Jesus. So as you're in relationship, I want you to specifically make your request and then persistently keep requesting. Keep telling the Lord about it. Whatever it is on your heart, I don't care what it is. I want you to persistently try this for seven days. And here's the last thing you're going to do. Knock. You're going to believe God will answer and you're going to move in action. Now, 
track with me here. You're going to believe God will answer. You're going to move in action. Here's what I realized this week as I was thinking about this passage. Nobody knocks on doors that they don't believe someone's going to answer. Have you ever gone through a neighborhood knocking on doors just to walk away for no reason? Nobody does that. You knock on doors because you believe there's somebody home who's going to open the door and you're going to go in. Come on, I got one, one man rocking with me, Rick. Nobody knocks. Here's, here's what we have. We have Amazon Prime Prayer Lives, okay? We go, all right, God, here's my request. I'm going to throw it on the door and run back as fast as I can to the truck because I really don't think you're going to answer, and if you do, you're probably not going to be happy with me, okay? That's our prayer life, Amazon Prime. We don't have the nerve to stand at the door, knock on the door, and wait and believe someone's going to answer. To knock means you're moving in faith. This is not just like a softball, just like, well, I prayed about it. Huh? No, to knock is to say, no, I believe. I know Jesus is hearing me. I know he's promised he'll answer me. And I'm going to knock on this door. And I'm going to keep knocking as he says. It's a present imperative. It's persistent. I'm going to keep knocking. And I believe God's going to answer me. Look, and then you're going to have to move into action. What do I mean by that? Sometimes, listen, guys, knocking, believing God's going to answer means you've got to move in faith and believe God is going to answer you in the process. God's provision almost always meets us in the process. We want God to just answer and give us everything we want before we ever have to move in faith. That's not how it works. God's provision meets you in the process, knocking, believing he's going to answer and moving in faith. I've, I've never heard a better example of this than from my friend Humby. And I asked him if I could share this story. And he's a, a pastor as well. He planted a church over in the Deco district. But as Humby was preparing to plant a church, he had his eyes set on a building over in that area. And he'd been praying over this building. He'd been driving past it. And he thought, man, this would be a really cool place to plant a church. So one day as he's praying and he's passing this building, he feels like God tells him, go knock on the door and ask for it. And he says, absolutely not. I am absolutely not doing that. And he goes home. He says the next day he gets a text from someone on his team. They said, hey, God really brought you to my heart. I was reading in the scripture. Here's the passage God shared with me. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. And he's thinking, dude, are you kidding me? So he goes back to the building. He says he walks to the front door and he knocks on the door. Waits like five seconds, ten seconds, nobody answers. So he walks away. He's thinking, God, I did it. <laughs> I did it. I knocked. I'm never coming back. And he keeps thinking about this passage. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. So he goes to the second door around the building. He knocks. Nobody answers. He goes to the back of the building. He knocks. Nobody answers. He goes to the side of the building. He knocks. Nobody answers. And he's about to walk away. And he feels like, I need to knock one more time. So he goes to the front of the building. And he knocks one more time. About five seconds later, an old man opens the door. They begin to talk. He invites him in. They sit down. They start having coffee. Sure enough, Humby's church meets at that building now. They meet in the gymnasium of that building. 
They don't own that building yet, but they've been walking in relationship with this pastor and meeting there for the last few years. I thought, how powerful is it that that would never be the case if one man wouldn't have moved in action and in faith to actually knock on a door? And that story, obviously very clear, is not necessarily what your story is like. But a lot of times when it comes to knocking, sometimes God is asking you to move in faith and trusting that his provision will meet you in the process. So for wherever you are this morning, whatever's burning on your heart, what would it look like to make a specific request, to pray about it persistently, and to believe God's going to answer so much that you can move in action? That you're going to move in faith, believing God's going to answer you as you move. He's going to provide for you as you go for whatever it is. So this morning, I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray about that. Maybe to sit with the Lord and even just process what it is you should be praying about. There's no pressure here. It's just an invitation but I want you to take a few moments, and even if it is writing it down in your phone, I want you to tell someone, because if you don't write this down, if you don't tell someone, you probably aren't going to do it. So take a few moments.